Who made that? Did you make that? No, I got it as a gift. Do we know who the artist is? Bob Ross. I mean the one who did it. <laughs> no, the, I don't the know. unsung artist. Everything's about Bob Ross and no. nothing's about the person who did it. Because the, the label even says Bob Ross on it. Oh. So, it's company, an uncredited artist. It's you, made by Kid Robot. Oh, Kid Robot. But it doesn't give an individual credit. No. It so only it gives... Somebody who is doing it for wages. Even the name Kid Robot implies that they hire children <laughs> and no. they have robots doing them. I think, are they a YouTube channel? I'm not sure, but their website has a line of plushes called Funny and it's PH instead of F. Funny. PH like PH balance? <laughs> no. No, like PH is it's, F. Yes. Yeah. Funny. Mm. Oh, funny with Instead a Instead of using an F, you use a PH. <laughs> <laughs> you think that's funny? I like it. You like so it. clever. Like when you call someone fat, you can be like, "No, not fat." Like P H A T, and that means cool. Yeah, yeah. You can be so skinny and yet so fat. <laughs> Gosh, I learned from you. Yeah. How are we? I can answer half of that question. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm glad to be here. That's good. We're ready to go. I think so. I think we're going. All right, let's go. What are we going to do today? Voicemails. Another voicemail. Episode. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. Should I we just start? Go. Sure. Let's well, do. What, what about the people that forgot your name? Oh, I'm Marshall Vandruff. <laughs> I help creative people maximize their creativity oh wow that's a good one yeah, that's, that's a, a good new one, huh? you, yeah. you just come up with that yeah <laughs> Damn. <laughs> how um, about you who are you i'm stan i help marshall oh no there's more to it than, there's more to stan than helping marshall go ahead i i uh run proco you do the proco i do the proco yeah okay <laughs> sounds like a dance move yeah do the proco <laughs> Can you show us the Proco? Can uh, you should be the one to do? Oh, that. I don't. I'm not responsible for. I know. Oh, I guess proco. I introduce myself. I could. I do the Proco. Oh, we could have a separate session where I'll do some Proco moves and we'll assess you... them, put them into AI, see whether they pass the test. God. Anyway. Everything is AI now, huh? Yeah, it made right. a big impression on me. It did. It did. Yeah. You've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about it ever since we did that episode on AI. What have you been thinking? I've been thinking about the fact that critique on technical things will be a thing of the past. I do think that that's going to be yeah. the way we do it. We let machines do a lot of our work. Here's a good example. When drum machines came in, where they could synthesize the sound of a drum, they could do it better than other, uh, and then imit imitating other instruments. It was harder to imitate a cello, really hard to imitate a human voice, but you could do a drum pretty well fairly early on. And drummers did lose work. Uh, because drum machines replaced a good deal of it. But What's a they, drum machine? Like a, dr like a drum a machine is a generated sound. A yes, a musician who can now play drums and do incredible drumming that would be technically amazingly demanding for a f with a physical drum set. But you can go in there and program it all so that it will play it. Do so it. It, it still plays the drum. It still hits. No, it does not no. physically it's hit a it's drum. A it's a digital sound. Digital sound. Okay. Correct. But that was the first thing. Huh. 
that could imitate. You had synthesizer sounds in the 60s and 70s, but you did not have really the imitation of an instrument that sounded convincing. And drums were the first ones that they sampled well enough to make it work. Okay, well, the point is, it did put a lot of drummers out of business. Yeah. A lot of studio drummers were just not in demand because anybody can do this on their computer. But it did not get rid of drumming altogether. In fact, I think it was in the 1980s, there was a book called Megatrends by John Nesbitt, and he talked about the high-tech, high-touch phenomenon. Okay. This means that in, I think it was a town in Texas or something, where people bought personal computers. There was a surge of personal computers. And then they found out that in the following weeks, the sales of gardening equipment went up as well. Because when you sit in front of something so synthetic, you start to get an impulse to do something that's more organic. I don't get that. (laughs) You don't have that experience? No, I never went to buy gardening equipment after sitting in front of a computer. I remember the first time in 1994 (laughs) when I bought one of those big 20-inch CRT monitors and sat in front of it mm. for so many hours. I've already told this story. Yeah, that probably I? has a different effect on your brain though than the current monitors. The current monitors are way easier on the yeah. eye. Yeah, okay. but they, they made me want to roll around in dirt. Okay, <laughs> nice. Yeah, now back to the- Yeah, yeah, back, back to, to AI. The, yeah, the, uh, the AI thing. I don't think that when we are able to say that all of your technical issues will be taken care of by this computer teacher, that we will not give any kind of technical feedback, but I do think that that will be allotted to somebody who can do it much better than a human can do it. That's been on my mind a lot. I've been thinking how how we get prepared for this and that the shift is going to be more toward prompting creativity. Any interesting use cases you come up with, just briefly? Interesting use Use cases, like the technical things that AI will be able to critique. Well, the things that we mentioned, which are perspective. Anything else? Uh, No, perspective, rendering, and anatomy are the three that I've taught for so long. Yeah, those are the ones ones to let go of. But no, I have not really been giving any any insight into how it's going to be trying to squeeze ideas out of you, Marshall. Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that that (laughs) something gets squeezed out rather than just being... uh, Trying to milk you. Yeah, (laughs) not working that well. No, it's not. Well, (laughs) doing the the wrong thing to milk. I think what we need is voicemails. Charlie, give us a voicemail. Hey, Proko. Uh, this is Suver. I'm calling from Norway. Uh, loving the podcast. It's great uh, sort of uh, background chatter while uh, sketching. Chatter. Uh, my question is, how do you guys know when a painting is finished? How do you know when to stop rendering as uh, to not sort of draw all the life out of it? That's it. Thank you. I don't know. And I've had a lifelong reputation of continuing to work on it and continuing to work on it and continuing to work on it until I worked it into. Until you worked the life out of it. Yeah, I worked the life out of it. Yeah, I've done that more times than I can count. Well, I know it's done when I'm done with it. So is there someone that you have in your studio who says. No, when I'm done. When you're so it's you're taking responsibility. Yeah. (laughs) Good answer. (laughs) I'm, I'm making a decision to be done. Just walk away. Yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, well, then how do you make that decision? That's what we're looking for. Yeah. I guess, okay, so when I approach a drawing or a painting, I usually have a plan. I'm not just like feeling it out. And when that plan is executed, I'm done. 
<laughs> this means that you have a vision of what it should look like. Yeah. So usually I'll be, I'll cover the whole thing mm -hmm. and I'll be like, well, it could be done. I'm, I've, I've finished shading all the areas that should be shaded, mm -hmm. but I might not be happy with some parts. So I'll take another pass through it, fix them th some things. And then I'll get to the point where I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's obviously things I could improve, but in order to really improve maybe this, this knee, I should probably just start over and just do another knee. Mm -hmm. So I'm done with this one. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. It is an emotional call. Yeah. And some people, I've had that example. This could, I could do more. I could do more. I could do more. And there's not that critical assessment to say, but it wouldn't make it better to do more. And that's a call. Yeah. Uh, there's a saying about watercolorists that it takes two people to do a watercolor. One <laughs> is for the watercolorist to do the watercolor. And the other is for the person to be right behind them and hit them over the head hard when the watercolor is done. Because one of the most common things is to keep working it and yeah. not let the water be itself. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's another thing. I remember saying to William Stout 20 some years ago, why I wasn't a painter is that when I paint, I always overwork it. And he immediately jumped on that and said, uh, what do you mean overwork it? And he explained that there are stages of a painting that it needs to go through the next one or it doesn't uh -huh. need to go through the next one. But if it's going to go through the next one that you just, you, that there are distinct levels of how much it needs to be worked and that yeah. you could work on a painting for 150 hours and make it better and better. But it has to do with the wisdom of whether it needs it or not. Or whether you want to take it to that next level yeah. or you're fine with it does what you wanted it to do at this stage already and you yeah. don't need to spend another hundred hours on it i've spent over a hundred hours on pieces that i don't regret that they wouldn't have oh, been what yeah. they were if i had not put that much into it yeah this may be the the kind of thing where you have someone else who says that's enough it's not going to get better if you keep working on it yeah there's another part to it. I, I was mentioning how you know there comes a point where i could say I could improve this part of the drawing, but I, it would probably be better just to do that over again because some things like line quality, mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm just going to have to erase these lines to make a better line. Like, I'm just not happy with the dexterity. Maybe my hand was uh, tight and I just wasn't loose with my, my strokes and they look kind of uncertain. Yes. And that's when you should just redo it. And I, that reminds me of uh, Bernie Wrightson, Re, or was it you that told me about yeah. the book that they released with his look failed inkings yeah. or the ones he thought were failures and he redid them? Yes. I was looking at a few of them a few days ago. Uh-huh. And like when you look at just a failed one, it looks amazing. It's amazing. It's like, oh, that's great. Yeah. And then you look at the one that made it into the book. Uh -huh. It's like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, he did improve it. He did improve it, yeah. But he wouldn't have been able to keep working on that first one to make it that new one. Yes. He had to start over and redo it. Yes. So, sometimes... Tearing down and rebuilding rather than tweaking. Yes. Sometimes it's not about just keep going and keep fixing. It yeah. might be quicker and you might get a better result if you just do it again. Yeah. Baron Story is, uh, is big on that. That you, mm -hmm. you destroy it and then start over again. Claire Windling does her drawings... Uh, over and over and over each one can be a rehearsal until the one that is a rehearsal it, it doesn't need to be a rehearsal anymore because it was good enough as a finished piece that's one of the advantages of drawing you just keep doing it until one of them works and that's the one yeah
the fuck? <laughs> Brandon, was that your computer? No. Was that Charlie? What happened? No, mine was muted. Oh, that's mine. Oh, oh that's your computer. <laughs> Can you turn the speakers off? Yeah, while you do, give me just a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon, what's going on? Did I lose my <laughs> my co-host? I'm here. I'm back. I guess it's, you sound just like him. Well, let's sing a song while good. we're waiting for Marshall to return. Oh wait, here he is. <laughs> Your son is here. Yeah. Are you here to usurp my power? You are handsomer than me. Well, I, he's not arguing. I am proud to turn the phone over to this, my beloved second offspring. <laughs> People are going to think it's true. Yeah, they are. Uh, I have nothing to say to this. Okay, let's just continue with the show. Did we answer our Norwegian friend's question? Um, I hope so. I think it was a good answer. I, I'm ready to move on to the next one. Okay, let's, let's go to another. Hi, my name is Kirsty, and I want to become a um, fashion illustrator, and I'm just getting started, and what I really want to do is do fashion illustration for, like, cosplayers, and I was just wondering, what do you think the fundamentals are? Thank you. Bye-bye. So she said she wants to do cosplay costumes? Yeah, that, and okay. she Fashion. wants to design the costumes. Design do cosplay like costumes. Yeah, do like the rotation and stuff. Wouldn't that be like designing the original character that you're cosplaying though? Um, I mean, like, I guess you, sometimes you have to make it real. A lot of the right? times cosplayers will make like their own invention based on a character. Okay. Okay, right, because sometimes it's really complex. You have to figure out how it's actually going to work on a person. That right? and also making like a different version of a character. This is oh. a theme based off of like a gothic dress that's t incorporating elements of the character, but is, uh, is its own unique design. Interesting. Okay. Well, the fundamentals, I mean, if you're talking about the drawing part of it, it's the same fundamentals as drawing. You probably don't need to know perspective. Sorry, Marshall. You don't need to apologize. Yeah, but I mean, I'd add yeah. drapery into this. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, yeah, drapery. You probably need to learn how to draw people because you're putting costumes on people. Mm -hmm. You should know what's underneath because if you're gonna put yeah. clothes on them correctly, you should know what forms those clothes are draping over. Mm -hmm. Um. Some fashion designers, though, seem to work very flat, decorative, and yeah. let let the other people work almost that like a out. blueprint of the thing, uh, or even more cartoony, and then let somebody else take it to this next uh, level. I mean, when you look at the preliminary work, even concept art for movies, the blue sky uh, stage, come up with any idea in any style. It may not be practical, but it gets us thinking unusually. But yeah. then, at some point, if it's going to be turned into an actual costume. Uh, Christy, you're probably already doing the first thing, which is that you're into the the subject, into cosplay. So you know what other people are doing. You're looking at it. You're interested in it. And and that's the start. The next is that you get ideas. Then you draw them out. And then where you run into trouble drawing them out, that's where you know that you need help. 
that's where you find the fundamentals. You may say, I'm really just into masks. And if you're into masks and you've got great ideas for masks, all of the practical, technical problems of designing masks, you will find out in your first dozen masks that you design and build. And, you know, drapery and the way, the way folds and cloth work, the way uh, ceramics and, and styrofoam and uh, things that will stretch, all of that is a part of every student that I've seen that got into designing costumes for cosplay. Mm -hmm. That's where they put a great deal of their energy. Yeah. Is how to make this practical, and especially if you're going to make more than one version of it. Because when you make one version of it, that's one thing. You've got a prototype. Now, what if you want to sell this and mass produce it? Then you've got a whole other set of problems. You know this because you've done product. Yeah, you have to figure out a way that you're going to make these things and not lose money. Like a certain type of stitching might look better, but is going to cost twice as much or whatever. I don't know. I'm yeah. just making up stuff. Yeah. Um, but yes, you could have the st stitching printed on. Yeah. Or you could have it actually done. But I think that your motive is that you love the the costumes. And so you're going to want to make them as good as they can be. And mass production is a whole other issue that gets you out of the comfort zone of doing this for yourself and your friends or for a few select clients who have enough money to afford to pay you a thousand or a couple thousand dollars for a costume that you can spend a week or so full time on and justify putting the energy into it. But I don't know much about it and I wanted to learn drapery back in the 80s and I got a chance to teach fashion sketching at the junior college. You taught fashion I sketching. I taught fashion sketching and the reason why is that I wanted to learn drapery. Oh, I thought you wanted to learn fashion. <laughs> well, I was in a room with a number of people, the students who knew everything about fashion and I knew nothing about fashion, but I was there to teach them about drawing and drapery. Yeah. And I started to find out then that there was a lot to fashion sketching. Yeah. Besides learning to draw yeah, I think learning to draw and even learning drapery is secondary to just being able to come up with the idea, the concept of yeah. what you're trying to create. Yes. Because the end product is not your drawing. It could be super sloppy. It could be a really crappy drawing. The drapery folds may not be represented correctly, but real drapery is going to act properly even if you drew it yeah, wrong yeah, right. so the end result is the way you designed the idea yeah it's not your drawing and so most of the fashion sketches that i've seen the drawings weren't the best they were good enough this is a question for fashion designers but like any discipline you want to look at it from two angles. One is the creative side and one is the technical side. The creative side is you go to those amazing collections that Dover has done of the history of costume and you spend time in there saying, I like this, I don't like this, I like this, I don't like this. You get to understand the evolution of costume. That's uh, That feeds your uh, awareness of what people have already done with clothing and costume. And then look at what other people are doing in the industry right now and decide what you like and don't, come up with ideas. And then there is the technical side of it, which is the awareness that some cloth is heavy and some cloth is light, some cloth is expensive, some is cheap, 
some stretches, some doesn't, some has one kind of weave, others has, uh, have yeah. another kind of weave, all those technical things. But it's the two together. If you're really good at ideas and you can't ever make it happen, you got an issue. If you can make it happen but you don't have any ideas, you're gonna need to team up with someone whose ideas you admire. But that's advice for anything that you're going yeah. to pursue. Yeah, I think experience with actually making the costumes is probably more valuable than experience with drawing. Yeah. So, so. the best advice, Christy, is to hang out with other people who are doing this, work on stuff together, and share each other's secrets. Yeah. Bolster each other to more creativity. A lot of people have been uh, doing 3D printing for the more ornate pieces of oh, nice. yeah. cosplay now. That's expensive though. Well, right? a lot of, I mean, you can. I guess not if you're doing just really cheap printers. Like, you don't need yeah. super fine detailed prints. A lot of libraries have free access to it. Oh, wow. Printers. Yeah. Okay. So they're like really low res prints, right? Probably. Where you could see like thick layers. Like, each layer is like a millimeter thick. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's cheaper then. That's, that's cool. That's a good idea. Well, we didn't do too bad for uh, being not. For not knowing anything Canada, about fashion. Yeah. <laughs> These questions are dangerous. They get us out of our territory. Yeah. Uh, I am someone who is getting very close to their 40s, uh, 38. Uh, my name is Giovanni Dominguez. Um, the, the thing is, I feel that I, I want to get, in, get become an artist, get a career in art, but I also feel that I might be too old at this point in my life. I want to see what do you guys think, and it is... Is this still a good age? Is never, are you never too old? But please let me know what you think. Bye. Someone asked us this question at our Comic-Con panel. Yeah. It's a common question. It is. But it usually comes from people over 30. <laughs> over 30, yeah. yeah. Nah, there, sometimes there's people in their 20s that are like, oh man, I know this kid who's way better than me and he's 17. Yeah. And they feel they're comparing themselves to someone who's younger and better. Yeah. And because of that, they think that they're, they're too old. But I mean, if you're a 15 year old and your eight year old brother or sister is better than you, you're probably going to think you're too old. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just a, it's a feeling of uh, inaccuracy. Inac inadequacy. Yeah. yeah, it's relative and it's also a competitive model, I think, yeah. that contributes to this is that if someone's that young and that good, that means how could I ever shine a light as bright? And the competitive model has its advantages, but it's also uh, got bad things about it. And the worst thing about it is that it, it fosters energy that can get you into this position of doubt when you might say, I wanna do it because I wanna do it. I wanna see yeah. how good I can get. It's a whole different energy. The exploration, uh, discovery, let me see how good I am. Let's dig for treasure. Even if we don't find anything, we're going to enjoy digging. Yeah. He probably has a career doing something else. Mm -hmm. And I guess it, it always depends on the person's situation. Mm -hmm. Can you do both? You know, can you make that transition very slowly over the over 10 years mm -hmm. um, where you're working on improving your skills and drawing and just enjoying that? Enjoying the fact that you're able to draw and support yourself with this other job that you have and not have the pressure like a lot of young people do where they come out of college and they don't have another career to fall back on. They have the pressure to make art work, right? That's, another, that's a totally other thing that he doesn't have to think about. That's right. There's no, he, there's no stakes. Yeah. 
even if he fails he might he still has his job that he can fall back on Mm -hmm. um but just don't expect to just start and switch immediately go in slowly and even if you never really reach that do it just because you enjoy it like you said Mm -hmm. there's another thing here and you're not being specific Giovanni about what kind of artist you want to be there are some crafts that are much more demanding than others Uh, if you are a person who likes to come up with ideas that make people laugh the amount of technical challenge to be a good cartoonist is not as much as the amount of technical challenge to be a to be a director of action adventure films you got extremes of how much one takes it takes years and years of experience and demand and full-time attention to do one and the other it may be something in a matter of two or three years you can get pretty good at if you feel like it's something that you've got it in you to do so there's another thing is what is it that you're trying to do take color out of the mix take rendering out of the mix now you've got something that people tend to call cartoons you've simplified your discipline cartoons have color uh, yes, they do. I'm I'm so used to I'm so used to <laughs> pen and ink cartoons that have no color in them. Oh, Shel that's Silverstein stuff and all the old you know, the New Yorker things like comic strips, yeah. black and white comic but, strips. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of times though yeah, when newspaper you are, comic strips, black and white newspaper comic strips. Yeah, Sunday. <laughs> it's like yeah, not the Sunday one. And so yeah, there are people who pencil for comics. There's people who ink for comics. There's people who just color for comics. Yeah. It, it it depends, but like as far as are you too old to have a career, and you're not even forty yet? The answer is no, but it depends on you. Yeah, like for example, I started getting into it very seriously when I was like seventeen, and by the time I was like what twenty seven, I guess I was earning enough to support myself, mm-hmm. and that's basically going from knowing nothing to having a, a career where I'm I have a house mm-hmm. um, so that's 10 years so if you're able to put in the same amount of effort yeah. into it you could by the time you're 40 something you could be a professional yeah could you could could but, it's, again, right, but it depends it's it's entirely dependent on you Giovanni you are in midlife crisis and midlife crisis is where you recognize that this movie is over halfway finished and the pressure that happens to do the thing that I want to do surges up naturally and you've got that happening you're questioning it right now and you may have it surge enough to where you say I'm gonna ride this wave there will always be the setbacks there's gonna be all the difficulties that anybody goes through at any age but if you want it enough that's what I think it is more dependent on than anything else it's desire and you could do it even faster. I mean, there's people that go, they start getting into it very seriously in college. Yeah. And then four years in, they're really good and they get oh, hired yeah. right out of school. And, and that only took them four years, maybe even less. That, that question, it's like the wrong question. I don't know. You I see this that. in colleges. I've seen it for all of these years. When you get returning students, a particular kind of returning student, this is a student who really... They're, they're at about this age, 30, 40, even 50. Uh, and they recognize that they went to school and did not make use of it. 
and they come in with such a seriousness, I will learn this, and they, they tend to be smart because they have learned how to learn. That's the most important thing. When you're, when you're a kid, when you're a student, when you learn how to learn, everybody else just has to get out of the way because you're going to figure this out. So you've got this awareness that life is finite, uh, you've got this desire, and you can say, I will work smarter and more efficiently than I would have if I was going at this where life stretched on indefinitely in front of me. Just like to pitch The Art of Learning again. Great book. But people have been really <laughs> positively responsive to The to Art the, of Learning. Yeah, I, I saw some people actually already read it. Well, it would be nice to be able to tell you, I don't have them on the right, uh, at the front of my mind, but many, many stories, biographies of people who do their best work in their second and third and fourth acts of life can be very encouraging. Let me throw one out. Uh, Dr. Seuss didn't do his first children's book until he was 37 years old. It was to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. He didn't do his first children's book. What would it, what did he do before that? He was an illustrator. He was an editorial illustrator. Okay. But this did not, uh, well, actually it did include some rhymes, I think. Yeah. Uh, so he was pretty much doing the same thing, just he didn't do He made a transition. But if you read, there's a biography done, uh, a very kind biography done by uh, two of his, his friends. He went into doing children's book illustration as a sacrifice. He had to turn down money. He had to turn down other things. It was not the kind of thing everybody wanted to get into at the time. But he made the transition, and the first book did not sell well enough to where he could make his living on it. it sold a little bit. But he didn't have the cat in the hat, I think, was at about the age of 50 that that one went ballistic and he became so famous. Uh, but there are many other stories of people who in their later decisions, they find uh, sometimes it's good to look at the stuff that you've been doing up to this point and see which ones of these skills that I already have contribute to this. Yeah. Learning how to draw and paint is a lot like sports in the way the discipline it takes and the re repetition all that to get good you know with sports you have to be young mm -hmm. pretty much to to perform at a yeah. you know peak level um but with art you don't it's not completely dependent on your body it's mostly dependent on your mind mm -hmm. and so if your mind can stay sharp and through your 80s and 90s or whatever you could be a professional artist when you're 90. yeah, yeah. so if you're only 30 something a lot of years yeah Giovanni adopt old people who are on new journeys and doing well as your role models <laughs> yeah hi Stan hi Marshall I love the podcast <laughs> um, I just want to ask you a little question uh, whenever you're doing work or at a convention or anything like that there's always that one person who God just has that idea that they want to tell you that they have this big idea that they want to show you they kind of want you to help out with sometimes and you kind of want to be nice but you kind of want to you know not let them down too hard I mean what kind of advice would you give to people like that who have that big idea and they don't exactly know how to make that idea happen for them and you know, they're asking you as an artist. 
Uh, love the show. Uh, you're the best draftman. Thank you very much. That's funny. Um, I'm still not sure what the question is when somebody asks, says that they have a big idea and they ask you for help. Yeah, with it. This, I, I get this a lot, but not necessarily regarding art, but just with business. Hey, have I got an idea yeah, for I, you? Uh, Here's I what you ought to do with do your business. <laughs> it's like, okay, no, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, wait, but how, why is he asking this question? Like, are there artists that come to other artists and say, I have this idea maybe for like a book and I want you to illustrate yeah, it and you an can make it, image. but I can't. I have an image that came to me and I want you to paint it. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. I remember we've gotten a support ticket, at least one where someone wanted to, us to incorporate or do the animations for their project and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like big uh, projects that would take like all of our resources to do. Here's the way you get them to do it. You pay them money. It's called being a yeah. client. You are hiring them as the supplier. You get to be the art director, not the art suggester. This is your money. You make the rules of what it's going to be. The problem, a lot of the people that have these ideas and go to people with them, they don't have money to pay other people. So their idea is, I'm going to let this person have my idea or 50% of my idea because it's so genius and they're going to execute it and I will get yeah. 50%. It, it doesn't work that way. No. no. It, your idea sucks. Uh, I'm sorry, idea, but your idea sucks on its own. Well, actually, there can be good ideas. <laughs> Without execution, Without there are execution, no good ideas. Yeah, but there, are, there are some seed ideas that are going to be better. Of, of course, there's some but, worse ideas than others. <laughs> but, but yes, and that but that breaks down too because you can have the worst idea in the world and that is so really well executed exactly. that it becomes wonderful. And pet you can rock. have a, a great pet, pet rock. rock. Yes, stupid idea. <laughs> but they pulled it off. <laughs> they did it really well. Some people might not know what the pet rock was. That was way before your time, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, but I think I think a lot of people know it as an example of like, wow, I can't believe that works. I remember when it happened and I could not believe that anybody would buy a pet rock. <laughs> and yet everybody was buying a pet rock. Yeah. I did not buy a pet rock. But it's a whole other issue. You yeah, can, yeah, yeah. You can also have great ideas, as happens with some movies. It was a wonderful premise, but it's very hard to pull a movie off. So the work... The work is in pulling it off and and we don't have the right to create visions for other people. If we have a vision and someone else wants to pick it up and run with it, great. But to say, I've got an idea for you is intrusive. It's, uh, it's the kind of thing that therapists will focus in on if you are in the office with them, that this is controlling behavior. Yes, <laughs> well, that's, really. that's not the thing to do, to go and tell other people that you've got an idea that they ought to do. Yeah. Unless you're paying them. Unless you say, I want to hire you to do this kind of thing. Sometimes, though, there are some people who hire you to do something and they've got a strong vision of what it, uh, what it should oh, be yeah. that, can be, that can be difficult to work with. In fact... Oh, uh, okay. But some, some craftspeople like that. Okay. I worked almost always for art directors that they knew what this was supposed to be, but they also mm -hmm. knew to hire me for it because my style fit for it. So there's right. creativity in that. It's also going to the right person that you're going to pay. But I don't know. We're going all over the place on this. I don't know whether we. Yeah, I, I think we're done with that one. Okay. Hello, uh, Stan and Marshall. I have uh, one uh, large question and another one small one. Uh, the first one is uh, about balancing fun 
and the work factor. Uh, Wait, what? The stress that involves in the work. Balancing. Fun and the work factor. Fun and the work oh, factor. Oh, balancing, balancing fun and work. Fun and work, yeah, stress and the work. Okay. Um, for example, you have a deadline, you have uh, tons of requirements from the clients, and you can't find the right taste for him, and now there's stress piling up, and uh, when you do that, and even if you find it in the end, most likely feel like work and not art. So I wonder how, how did you guys tackle things like that? And the second one is for uh, Stan. Uh, do you think there will be another application like Scaly, but with muscles? Thank you. Damn it. Okay, the first one. Do you have any thoughts? I have a, a number of thoughts, but I'd like to keep them short. Okay. I. It's The thing is balancing the difficulties of the job with the enjoyment of the job. Yeah. The challenges, even including client challenges and fatigue and all that other stuff, and when yeah. things are going well. I... I don't know what the answer is to it. That Frank Oz, who directed Dirty Rotten Scoundrels on his commentary, said filmmaking is so hard, harder than anybody knows, that I figure if there's anything that we're gonna do that's this hard, we ought to do everything we can to make it fun. So the, I, I think that is, you do everything you can to make this enjoyable, embracing the difficulty of it in advance. But there's no way anybody can say, I've got a formula for you. It's going to make your career easy. Things are going to go well. Every time something looks like it's going to be bad, it's going to end up being good. It just doesn't work that way. It's a, it's a big question indeed. Yeah. Most things worth doing are going to be challenging. Yeah. Personally, I really like work. So I've never not enjoyed it other than when it's work that someone else makes me do. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, if he if he has clients that tell him what to do, I kind of I get it. Maybe he has a similar personality to mine where he just needs to do his own thing. Mm -hmm. But when I have my own thing and I have tight deadlines and and I need to finish things fast, I'm still enjoying that because it's it's my own thing. I don't know. You why. chose it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, people who raise children, we've had people ask about how do you balance dealing with kids and trying to be an artist. It's such a huge thing. What simple answer can you give? But I always noticed that people who embraced it and said, I am a parent, this is my job, this is my creativity, they had an energy that made mm -hmm. it so that however much I suffer, this is going to be the thing that I decided to do. Yeah. And I think analogically that fits with your career as an artist. Who would ever go into the arts as a profession because they wanted to make money in an easy way. A deluded person would do that. A person who has their eyes not open to the reality of it. If you choose this as a way to make your money as a career, you're choosing something that's going to be very difficult. Even for the people who are the luckiest and, uh, and the most successful, it's still going to be very difficult. So embracing the work and knowing it's gonna be difficult in advance. Yeah. and. If it's if you're not enjoying it because it's something that you're doing for someone else and you're not really getting to decide what to do, try to figure out how to make it yours. To me, that I think that would work. Is play with some ideas that you're working on that your client doesn't even know that you're doing this. They're still getting what they asked for, but you have something in there that you're working on in that project and you're trying to improve on something or whatever. There's a quote from Alan Moore in writing for comics, 
Alan Moore said that early in his career, he made a rule for himself that he would not take any job unless he could find a way to make it personally interesting to him. One way for Alan Moore was to radicalize the idea, to see how far he could take it. And he said that just having decided that, I'm not going to take any jobs unless they're jobs I want to do. They interest me. He said he found himself in demand in a short period of time. Norman Rockwell made a, a similar comment that he said that when he took jobs that he didn't really want to do, that he suffered the tortures of the damned. Mm -hmm. So there comes a point where selectivity, when you can afford to be selective about which jobs you do, mean that you are you're doing the work you love. You're taking the challenges you want. You're exploring where you want to go. Uh, John Huston, the film director, said that he had two criteria for which film that he would direct. He said it had to be a good story, good script. But the other thing is it had to take place in a locale that he wanted to visit. Oh, wow. I want to go to Africa. I want to go to South America. I want to go to, to Mexico. And so he's, that's how he made the choices, which means that he had a career of getting paid phenomenally to travel to places he wanted to go anyway. That's cool. Yeah, it's great. It's a it's a nice attitude to take though. That you, if you're going to say it was had to do with those twenty three steps of uh, our, our Two, lessons 23 of success. Twenty three habits, habits of success. success. To say no and to say yes to the things you want. Yeah. Cool. So the second part of that, the question was, will there be a, another Skelly type app with muscles? <sighs> yes and no. I don't. I have no idea. It's very hard <laughs> to make this happen. One is it's not a priority for me right now to make that happen. Two, it's just technically difficult. Like to have muscles deforming accurately, every single muscle in the body deforming accurately to the movement of the joints on a mobile device is very hard. The phones aren't fast enough yet to even do that, I don't think, without a, a crap load of lag or just making the muscles so low poly that it's kind of pointless in my opinion. Like if I was to do it, I want it to be really good. Like I could just make the deltoid like a really simple egg-like shape and have it deform in, in kind of a way, but I, I would want it to be super accurate. And, you know, uh, it may not help you as much as just looking at a, once you know the skeleton, look at a live model. Yeah. yeah. What we will have sooner, though, is a mannequin version of it. So, you you will have surface forms, um, but... That's what you're working on right now. Yeah, we're working yeah. on that right now. And um, I'm not sure exactly when that will be released, but, um, yeah, it'll be a mannequinized version of the surface forms instead of just a skeleton. Mm -hmm. So, it, it'll help you directly with drawing an actual person rather than drawing a skeleton. Okay. But he's thinking about muscles probably to learn anatomy. Yeah. And um, I mean, I can tell you that like when we do an animation with all the, like let's say the muscles of a leg and they're deforming, it'll take several hours to render those frames. Mm -hmm. And that's on a computer, a really, really powerful computer. Boy. And you're thinking, now I want to do this on a phone, real time, as I'm moving it. This is such a pessimistic <laughs> counterpoint to the AI session that we did where we were talking about that AI was going to do all of this incredible stuff and now we're talking about the limitations of technology and that you're expecting too much. Yeah. 
<laughs> up against reality. Yeah. This illustrates the fact that you go into it thinking it's going to be easy. No, do you want to do what's a thing? I do. It has to do with something we've talked about previous. I mean, today. What? What, what is it? For the last few years, I've, ma- I've not made this public yet. Oh. But for the last few years, I have been working with the junior college at which I teach. Okay. In Fullerton on a children's book illustration certificate. What? Oh, certificate. I thought you were working on a children's book. No, it's children's book <laughs> illustration certificate. Okay. This is a two-year program. It can be done if you have other things that demand your time in three or four years if you like. But we have classes that I have written and collaborated with other people to put together so that if you say, I really love children's books and I want to understand how a children's book is put together, where ideas come from, what kind of illustration techniques and skills are necessary to do it, and the love of the history of children's books and and how the industry happened. That's what this certificate is about, is to give you for the lowest possible amount of money that you could pay anywhere to attend these classes get your certificate, and also be in class with me because I'm, I'm going to teach at least one of these classes every uh, every semester. We've got one called Illustrating Literature. We've got one called Children's Book Illustration, which I've taught a couple times already. We've got uh, uh, a number of others that are in story and turning stories into pictures. So if you are interested in that, it is now official knowledge. The state has blessed it. They are going to give the school money to make the classes happen, and you can find out more at F-U-L-L-C-O-L-L dot E-D-U, the college that I've been teaching and that I went to. And if you're interested in that, we're starting it this next semester. That's the spring semester of 2020. Wow. So yeah. your thing is an ad. I'm, it's an ad, but it's, an, it's something that I don't make any extra. I don't make any money from this. From what? From, from pitching this. I mean, the classes either oh. happen or they don't. So I'm doing this for junior college teaching wages. But I'm doing it partly because I want to attract people who have the same interest as me. I'm hoping that one of the last things I do I want to teach composition, I want to teach creativity, but I also want to spend as many years as I can working with other people who love children's books, even the kind of children's books that are enjoyable for grown-ups to read, which William Steig's, Dr. Seuss, many others that are just, you know, uh, wonderful bits of literature, and to immerse myself in a culture of this where we produce and even give ourselves goals that let's see if we can come up with dummies for six books a year and do that for a few years and then you figure, if you get 24 books that you've written and laid out, you're bound to have a few in there that could be good. And if you get a community of people doing that, and wow. now that self-publishing is a thing, and the community college, right now, they've got a printing department with millions and millions of dollars of equipment. Oh, wow, really? Yes, I took classes there 30-some years ago in that printing department. It's still there. And most people don't know about this. So, yes, it is a pitch. Wow. That's why I'm, I'm making this as my thing. We've come up with okay. how, you know, your second act in life. Your I will accept. Dr. Smith, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> What's your thing, Stan? My thing is this Carl Kapinski book. Yeah. So at Comic-Con a few months ago, uh-huh. um, I bought this. It's called The Big Kapinski. Do you know Carl Kapinski? I do. He's I an, met him through illustrator. you. And this is an original painting on the cover of this book. That's why that's it's, not printed. It's not printed. This is an original book. He actually painted it. He printed, I guess, a total of a hundred 
blank covers, just white covers with, I guess, paper that you can paint on. And I bought one and he painted it. Yeah. You are in the elite club. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what? You've got an original Carl Kapinski cover on the big Kapinski book. Yeah. I'm really happy with this. this I can like, see why. It's really nice. Yeah. Anyway, that's my thing. Just yeah. I, I love it. It's a great thing. It's Conan killing you, someone. Oh, oh, yeah. I guess it is. It's violent. So when I say it's a great thing, I have to put it in context. Yeah. <laughs> Necessity of war. Well, this is this is an evil person. Oh yeah, so he deserved it. Yeah, yeah. So the killing's all right. Did you request that, or did you just ask him to do whatever he wanted? Whatever he wanted. Yeah, you I did? just told him to make sure it's good. Yeah, make sure it's an <laughs> evil person getting killed, not a good no, person. No, I wanna... didn't say that. Yeah, you just said make sure yeah. it's something good. Well, I'm. And he's like, I... oh, I'll try. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the pressure really brought out his extra. Yeah. He made it good. He did. And he posted uh, a time lapse of him painting this on his Instagram and it like went viral on his, yeah. Because so, he was, he was painting with both hands. Yeah. Was he really? At the same time. Yeah. Does he do this normally? Is painting with both hands? And... Yeah. He told me after, because I asked him about it and he was like, yeah, I mean, it, it's time lapse. So you can't really see what I'm actually doing with the second hand. But what I'm doing is just, it's the blending marker. He's not actually like making strokes but he's crisping something drawing something here and then blending it here as yeah. he goes so he's following it along something like that yeah. it's so fast that you can't tell all you see his two arms going at the same time wow and that's on the line and we and we can see it yeah it's on his instagram yeah yeah i'd like you got to gotta go back in time to about july 20th or something yeah. like that okay that was during comic-con san diego comic-con and you own the original boom wow. that's my thing kapow that's it, Marshall. What people put in the comments this week? Um, after they give five-star review uh, on iTunes, yeah. they should go to YouTube. Yeah. And comment. On? Oh, man, we have so many questions. There's so many topics we talked about. You look like you have an idea. <laughs> Amos at success stories of people who, after they were done with the first act of their life or the second act of their life, chose what they wanted to do. That can be encouraging even if you're young to know that you can have more than one career or you can have new reinventions of your career. There are yeah. so many stories like that. Why not make a little collection, yeah. a treasure chest of encouraging stories? Famous people. Uh, they don't, even if, uh, if they aren't famous they, if, and they're worth telling. Okay. But yeah, there's enough of them that have done it famously that why not? You know, there's another thing and, and it's the people who do really well early in their career and then burn out and then some that do well early in their career and stay steadily strong all the way through. Norman Rockwell's story, if you don't know my adventures as an illustrator, is worth reading and then reading the post log that his son wrote about his dad uh, having tremendous insecurity that he was washed up as an illustrator and yet he stayed strong Who? as an illustrator. Uh, Norman Rockwell's oh, Rockwell. son. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. He, so, he, he so a, Rockwell had imposter syndrome. Rockwell had imposter syndrome, yes. Oh my or at least God. He, he did later. He did later. I don't know that he did earlier. Interesting. Yeah. That's so funny. Oh, imposter should, syndrome. We is should have an episode yeah, yeah, imposter, on imposter syndrome, syndrome, syndrome is one we should have a talk about. Okay, well, <laughs> stay tuned. Okay, imposter for syndrome. a future episode on imposter syndrome. Yeah. If you don't know what that is, well, stay tuned and you'll find out. Yeah. Okay, bye, guys. See ya. <laughs>